is uh, something about mountains, isn't there? Yes. The word that kept coming to me this week as I was thinking about mountains is the word alluring. Mountains are alluring. And then I began to wonder if I knew actually what that word meant. So I checked it out and I was right. It means powerfully and mysteriously attractive or fascinating, right? Mountains are powerfully and mysteriously attractive or fascinating. Mountains are alluring. When I was uh, about five years old, I fell in love. And uh, it was not to the girl next door. It was actually, uh, I fell in love with a mountain. The mountain. Uh, My family moved to a house in Enumclaw, Washington that had this beautiful, large living room window with this view. Pretty much just like that, actually. And I was only five years old, but something moved in my soul. (laughs) And even Becky knows there's just this little piece of my heart that she does not have because it belongs to Mount Rainier. Uh, Yeah, I I fell in love with this mountain. There is something about it. And uh, Marvin and Sune are not here, but they were just traveling up there, and I think they, they caught that too. Um, I mean, here's why. Look at, look at this mountain. Um, if you measure from the bottom up, it's the tallest mountain in the uh, lower 48 states. There are a few that are higher elevation, but they start higher too. So this goes 13,000 feet from bottom to top, 14,217 or something like that. Um, from, the, from the city, there it is. Uh, from the stadium, if you're watching a, a football game or a baseball game, there it is. Uh, this mountain is beautiful. There's a part of the park that is called Paradise. You can see why. Um, I've hiked in it, backpacked uh, in it, and gone around. There's, there's something called the Wonderland Trail, which goes 60 miles all the way around the mountain. I would love to do someday. Uh, when we moved to Nebraska, there were no mountains, in case you were wondering. <laughs> In fact, I think, and I may have shared this, when we drove across, we were reading the little book, and it said the, the state tree is not the telephone pole, though you may. And uh, the highest point was like the Capitol building, I think, something like that. So, and and there, was actually, there, there was this place called the, the Haymarket, down, like old town, downtown, pretty cool little place, and it was on the edge of downtown. And so I would go and park my car, and just it was beyond the development, and I would sit there, parked in the car when I was a little older, and look out over fields onto the horizon, it would disappear, and I could swear that just over that horizon was an ocean and some mountains, if the clouds were just right. So anyway, we missed it. And I would drive eight hours frequently, my friends and I, to to Denver, Colorado, to go to the Rocky Mountains, because there's something about mountains that gets in your blood, and you've got to be in the mountains. Remember 1997, John Krakauer's book, Into Thin Air? Some of you saw that? and saw the, the movie about a, a, an expedition up Everest. Just fascinating. I read that book, and then I read every book I could get my hands on about Everest and K2 and McKinley and all these things. Just fascinating, alluring, mysterious, powerful, attractive, fascinating. Uh, I think in my life, goal, the bucket list now is kind of a common term, I think climbing at least one of these mountains has got to be on that list for me. There's something, there's something about it. Um, yeah, like, like that. That's my right here. Some of you may ask, 
why? <laughs> why? Why the mountains? Why the fascination? And I ask myself that too, because it is, it's strong. It's a powerful thing. I think one of them is what we just call the view, right? You get on top of a mountain, and what can you see? You can see everything. You can see for miles. It's almost like you can see the, the world. Um, if you're on top of Mount Everest, for example, you are literally on top of the world at the highest point you can stand on in the world. That, that's got to be a cool feeling. When you're on top of something like this, you can see states and, and, and beyond country boundary lines and just all over the place. And when you stand on top of a mountain, what a sense of accomplishment, right? Uh, to stand on a mountain. But I think the allure of mountains also contains part of this, this unknown, this mystery, this danger that comes with mountains, right? Uh, we know that the climb is going to be difficult, if there are any cycling fans, uh, professional cycling fans in the room, you know the Tour de France is happening right now. And, uh, and of course, what really matters in the Tour de France, the way you win the Tour de France is by being able to climb the mountains on your bike. It's in the mountains, they always say, the Alps and the Pyrenees, where the Tour is won. Because you know it's going to be hard. It's going to be unpredictable. The weather on a mountain can change in an instant. You're exposed to elements on a mountain unlike you are exposed to on the, in the safety of, uh, of the ground. So maybe that's part of why uh, we're attracted and fascinated by mountains, the allure. And maybe that's also why, have you noticed, we use mountains to, to describe or symbolize metaphors for a lot of stuff in life, right? We talk about we're on top of a mountain, right? We've reached the top, uh, which is what? Success, right? Those high points in life. Um, whether success or spiritual highs or whatever, we describe those with mountain metaphors. We've reached the top. We're standing on top. We, uh, if we're Karen Carpenter, for some of you, uh, that either are a certain age or grew up with a father who was a certain age and a fan of Karen Carpenter, I'm on the top of the world, right? Look at, <laughs> thank you. Looking down on creation and the only explanation I can find is what? The love that I found, right? So Karen saying about the top of the mountain is like being in love. There's also uh, the challenging sides of life that we talk about with mountains, right? Boy, this, this week's been an uphill battle, right? Because it's climbing. It's hard. So the top of the mountain is the height of success, but climbing the mountain also has a way of helping us symbolize some of the hard challenges and difficulties of life. It's all downhill from here is a good thing, right? But when it's an uphill battle, we talk about things that are hard in life. So, certainly we can say, right, that life's journey includes mountains. And today's psalm, psalm number 121, is this beautiful song for the journey. Literally, this is a song for the journey. Some of you are uh, big fans of Cowell's Mountain and do that climb regularly And uh, so you know this view even better than I do. But when I've been there, I saw this, and I don't know if this has crossed your mind, but uh, at the bottom of Cal's Mountain, and you can't see it too well in this picture, but what does it look like, especially a Sunday morning? One or two people out there, right, climbing? No, the trail that winds up is just dotted with people. And it always reminds me of pilgrims going to the top, right? And actually, that's interesting. Think of that, because Psalm 21 is one of the 15 or so psalms that are called Songs of Ascents. And if your Bible uh, at the top probably says a song of ascents, 
What that's talking about, uh, picture Cowles Mountain in your mind. That's what I do, actually. Uh, because these are songs that are probably written for an ascent. And these ascents would be when people are traveling from various places, sometimes a day, sometimes multiple days journey, to get to Jerusalem for the various festivals. At least three times a year, people would come from all over Judea, maybe even farther, to come to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, at 750 meters above sea level, was eventually up. Uh, Whether people were coming down and then up, whatever it was, that last little bit of the trip was up. And so the Psalms talk over and over about going up to the house of God. They mean this both metaphorically, but probably also a literal experience of climbing the way through the dry, dusty uh, Judean countryside up to Jerusalem. So here is a song that says... This is for pilgrims traveling up to Jerusalem for a festival. Picture the people going up Cowles Mountain to the top. So the song begins in a perfect way for one of these journeys by a traveler. Verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? So now picture, uh, imagine this question as the question of a traveler beginning a journey, right? The traveler looks and takes a long gaze at the mountains and the hills and the rocky countryside ahead and knows that the journey is going to be a difficult one. Not easy to walk tens or maybe a hundred miles to get somewhere barefoot or with sandals. It's going to be a difficult journey, but of course they're going to make it because the destination is worth it. They're going to Jerusalem for a festival. They're going to be with the people of God and to celebrate for several days or a week. It's worth the journey. So imagine now for a minute as we think about this psalm, as this pilgrim lifts up her eyes to the mountains, what is it, do you think, do we wonder, is it that that causes her to ask about help? Where is my help going to come from? There are a few things perhaps, right? One possibility, of course, is that she simply looks at the trail and realizes this is going to be a challenging trail. It's going to be difficult, right? It's steep. It's rocky. Some of the path contains that loose scree or gravel that your foot could easily slide and, and the, the, the side is steep and it's dangerous. So the journey itself can be challenging, which works as a bit of a metaphor for life sometimes, Right? Some things that we set out to accomplish in life. We make a decision, we set a goal, and we look forward, and we recognize that these goals, these accomplishments, these journeys or roads we're going to take may be challenging. They could be difficult. They could have places where we'll slip. They could have possibilities of failing. They hold potential for injury and pain and suffering, things that we don't generally enjoy. We set out on these paths, but... We know it'll be difficult, but we do it because whatever it is we've decided to do, whatever path we've decided to take in life is worth it. And so we go. It could be a career that we choose. And we look down the road and know, I want this career, but it's also going to have its challenges and its difficulties. It could be relationships, maybe a marriage where you know, totally worth it, also going to have challenges and difficulties along the way. So one possibility is that as this pilgrim looks up at the, ha- the hills and the mountains and the trail, she wonders about help because simply the trail is difficult. Life is hard. There's another possibility as well. 
that as this traveler is getting ready to begin the journey and she looks up into the hills, she knows that those rocks and those crags and cliffs and cracks in the wall make very good hiding places for robbers and bandits along the way. If you remember the story Jesus tells of the man who goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he falls among what? Robbers, thieves, bad people, right? Who have been hiding in the rocks. It's a perfect place in all the rocks along the side of the trail to hide and jump out and do harm to one of the travelers, to steal their things, to beat them, to hurt them. And so with life as well, right? In our journey, sometimes there are just people, or microphones, <laughs> who cause you trouble. <laughs> there, there are things along, the, not things along the way, there are people along the way that will do us harm, right? You've lived long enough to recognize that, that, that sometimes people are just out to get you, to do bad things to you, to hurt you. And we don't know exactly why. There could be all kinds of reasons. Maybe they are, are hurting themselves. Maybe they are desperate in whatever situation, like the thieves and robbers wanting to take things from people. And so when we look ahead in life, there are dangers from people. People that will injure us, that will disappoint us, that will let us down. Sometimes there's physical violence. There's the gossip. There's being undermined at work or backstabbed or betrayed or just belittled. Because our journey of life is fraught with people who may do us harm. Life's path, especially when we choose to do things of value, is going to have people who want to get in our way or to hurt us. It's fraught with dangers. And so maybe this pilgrim looks up at the mountains and realizes there may be people hiding in those rocks, and so she needs help. But there's also a third possibility here that's important. Many commentators have noted that along this path that the journey people would travel to get to Jerusalem, inevitably on these high places, on the hills and rocks around that area, they were perfect places for high places set up by other people. These, these are altars or worship places to other gods, right? Whether it's from people of foreign lands or, or Judeans who had gone astray, these hills and rocks made perfect places to set up an altar, a little worship grove, whatever, to the other gods. And so, interestingly enough, they would look and they would see and they would know that as they traveled, they would be looking at all these different gods who offered help to the people who set up those altars. And I was thinking about this. I think that's actually one of the, maybe the cautions or dangers about the mountaintop experiences of life that we have. Right? We, we all want these, and they're good things to have success and to do well and to find the things we're looking for. But there's also a bit of caution that comes with those, Right? Because isn't it when we're on top of those mountains that it's very easy to lose sight of who actually got us there and for these things to become sort of gods to us? I mean, is it possible that sometimes when we're on the mountains of success that those successes or those things we depend on in life seem the most close to us, seem the most 
God-like for us. And we begin to turn our attention from the God who has been with us all along to the gods along the way that we've been after. The things like success or wealth or power or just people's opinion of us or all the things that we look to. Sometimes the goals that we set out for can themselves, and the successes that we have, can themselves become little gods along the way. So these pilgrims would look up, and along the way they would look up to the hills, and there would be these high places, these little gods. And they would wonder about those. And we too, in our journeys, go along the way, and sometimes we set up our little gods along the way, especially when times are good, especially when we've had success, especially when things are going well. The problem is, with that, just like the weather on a mountain, these things can turn on us very quickly, right? How often have we begun to depend on something and said, you know, my abilities can get me a long way. My wealth is going to protect me. My successes will get me far. And suddenly it disappears like that. These things, like the weather on a mountain, can turn on us very quickly. And so all these things, that the person may have been looking up to, add a certain depth to the second line of this psalm. The answer to the question about help. Where does my help come from? Verse 2 sounds a little different now that we've heard that, right? My help comes from the Lord who is the maker of heaven and earth. And not from the gods in these high places that we've seen all along the way that promise so many different things. This, this song, this pilgrim song, is an important faith statement for the people who are making it, right? It's, it's a statement of faith in the God who is the maker and the creator of heaven and earth. So if, if we interact, let's, let's imagine the psalm like this. It's an interaction, probably, between a person setting out on a journey and someone else. Maybe a priest who is staying behind, maybe a family member who is staying behind, maybe it's an, a fellow traveler, and there is this back and forth going on in the psalm. So if we hear that, it goes a little bit like this. The journey person begins the psalm. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. He or she is about to head out on a journey. Where does my help come from? My help, a statement of faith, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And as I see the path that will be challenging and full of risks and possibilities and failures, maybe even pain and injury, I see that path and I'm wondering. And there may be people also on this path who are out to get me, the journey person is saying, and who out of their own desperation or whatever reason wish to do me harm. So where does my help come from? Does it come from the gods of high places? Does it come from Ra, the god of the sun? Does it come from Baal, the god of fertility and plenty? Will my help, will my help come from Mammon, the god of wealth? Will the god of might and power and large weapons save me? Will Apollo, the god of order and discipline and rule following and planning, Make sure that nothing bad happens to me. <laughs> will that God protect me? Or will Dionysus, the God of pleasure and self-indulgence, grant me the happiness I'm looking for? Who will help me along the way? Where can I find my footing on this path? And the answer 
This person says in faith is, No, not from those places. My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. God, the Creator, is not only the source of all that is, but He's interested in me enough to be my helper. So then, after this, the priest or the parent or the person, the fellow traveler, responds to this person. Yes, He, this God, will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. And the person responds, Indeed, the one who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And then the person, the priest, the parent, the fellow traveler replies, The Lord watches over you. And if we're listening carefully and reading along in the psalm very carefully, something beautiful is actually going on here, right? The one giving the blessing on the traveler, gives encouragement that God the Creator is a helper who will not slumber. Recall Elijah on the Mount, Mount, Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, and he said, well, maybe Baal is sleeping because those gods would sleep sometimes and had to sleep, but God the Creator is the one who does not sleep or slumber, which is a way of saying even in those times when it seems like God is asleep on the job, faith says that surely God is working just behind the scenes or just beneath the surface for good and for healing? The traveler responds, Yes, God is awake and alert and watching over Israel. Which is a true statement and a grand statement, but also a little bit abstract and impersonal. And thus it's pretty easy to believe, right? Yes, God cares for Israel. God cares for people. God cares for the world. And so it's interesting that the priest or the parent or whoever then replies back to them. And I imagine that they kind of look the person in the eye, maybe put a hand on his shoulder and says, no, the Lord watches over you. The word is singular. Second person singular. We often hear Psalms talk about you all or people in general. And this person has looked in their eye and said, no, the Lord watches over you and you. Yes, all of creation, but he also is your helper and the one who is with you. Very personal. And then he begins to expand on that encouragement. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Imagine them traveling through the desert. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. You will not become a lunatic. (laughs) People from that time were afraid of lunacy moon craziness at night, right? And so they were protected both during the day and during the night. God was always watching them, always with them. And then he says to conclude, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. It's a beautiful blessing, isn't it? As you imagine this person being sent off on a journey up the mountain to Jerusalem, what incredible encouragement for our journeys in life. The Lord will keep you from all harm, both now and forever. Beautiful. And yet, if you're like me, do you stop there just a little bit? Admittedly, I, want, I wrestle with all harm. God will keep us from all harm. If you have lived a few minutes, you have recognized that sometimes bad things happen to good people and to God's people. It happens, doesn't it? 
And, and the worst thing we could do is to tell people, well, maybe it's because your faith wasn't strong enough that a bad thing happened. Or, secondly, a close second, this thing that happened to you is not actually bad. It's part of God's plan. No. I think life tells us bad things happen. Injuries along the journey do happen. There are dangers and bad things happen. And yet the psalmist, who of all people can write things like, my God, why have you forsaken me? Also says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He'll watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Quite a statement of faith, a fairly bold one. And as I think through Scripture, maybe the one that captures this for me and helps me understand this, something that I can affirm and also say amen to, is the way that Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8. You know this passage well. This is about the God who keeps us from all harm, who keeps us close, right? Remember these beautiful words of Paul's in Romans chapter 8? For I am convinced, says Paul, who, by the way, had had a few bad things happen to him, right? You've heard those lists before. That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Which put back into the psalm for the journey, I think, is a way of saying, yes, there are dangers on the path. And there may be times when you fall and stub your knee. There may be some people who jump out and do you harm, but it will not end that journey. You will be able to continue and you will stay in God's care and God's love because nothing can separate us from that. And if we are in God's care and God's love, we will have the strength to keep going even when the painful things happen. So this is a song for the journey, indeed. The journey up the challenges of life mountains and also a song about the reminder of how important it is to stay grounded even when we're standing on top of the mountain. So this morning, may you remember that when you are embarking on a climb <laughs> up life's mountains, may you know that the maker of heaven and earth is also your helper, your guide who is with you day and night. And also, even when you're standing on the mountaintops of life, may you remember who walked with you every step of the way to get to the top of that mountain. Because even mountains can crumble, but God is the surest foundation and nothing can separate you from his love. To finish, uh, let's do this to experience this psalm. Let's try, try this. We have time. Turn to someone next to you, and Paris, because we're going to do this psalm, but instead of me responding to you, you're going to respond to each other as travelers on life's journey, okay? So choose, between the two of you, choose who's going to be yellow and who's going to be white, and, uh, and I will lead, but you're going to say this psalm back and forth to each other as a way of encouraging each other on life's journey, all right? Does that make sense? <laughs> so take a moment if you need it. Okay, one person is yellow and one person is white text. All right.
the blessed song for the journey of Psalm 21. So yellow readers, <laughs> read with me. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Response. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Amen.